Action Park Media. It's not often that I would <laughs> refer to a podcast I made as a mandatory listening, but thanks to my phenomenal guest Delaney, I do consider this mandatory for the pure fact that my wonderful friend Delaney uh, discovered a few years ago that she had breast cancer and in her discovery and what she learned, it just feels like these are all things that we need to know as women or as partners of women of how to check, how often you should check, what something may feel like, which was different than I thought it would be. And also some great tools and tricks for how you can better support someone going through a journey with breast cancer or if you in fact find yourself in that situation, things that she found both helpful and hindering um, to her health and overall process. So it's a good chat. She's so informative. She is a delight. I'm so grateful for her sharing this experience with us. This is Pretty Depressed with Delaney. The beautiful Delaney. So Delaney and I know each other from doing a movie together called Deathgasm and Step Dave, and (laughs) which now feels like Actually, that's not true. It doesn't feel like an eternity ago. It feels quite recent. And then Facebook reminds me it was an eternity ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and since our time together, you've been on quite the journey. Um, you've had breast cancer. You are currently, I believe, clear. And recently you just posted that it's five years since you finished chemo. So I thought right. it's going to be our treat chatting to you today because not only do I want to talk about your journey, but also things that people did that were helpful along the way because unfortunately, statistically, if it doesn't happen to us, it's likely to happen to someone around us. So I'm so grateful. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. Um, to be here. So yeah, I, I think from, I find out, found out that you had cancer because you posted something going, when this photo, beautiful photo of you and your partner was taken, I had three tumors and didn't even know about it. So maybe walk us through how you found out. Well, you know what's funny about that, Kim? I was like thinking about this the other day and I was thinking when I did deathgasm with you, I had I probably had cancer then and didn't know it, which is just quite crazy to think about. And, yeah. you know, it made me think how many people out there are sort of running around with cancer without even knowing, you know, like I'd never been in hospital overnight. I'd never been sick. I was the healthiest person I know, you know, like just mm. if anyone was going to get cancer in my family, it was not me, you know? Mm. Um, and I, after wrapping Step Dave, moved to LA. Um, Matt and I had just like packed up our entire lives into two suitcases and got on a plane very naively mm-hmm. um, and kind of settled here. And I think I'd been here probably not even a year at that point. And we were lying in bed. And I remember it so clearly because it was the day after the Oscars. Oh my gosh, this is weird. It would have been today. Yeah. Like, however many years ago. And um, I we were lying in bed and I was quite hungover. And I still, I was so hungover that I hadn't taken my bra off from the night before when I got into bed. And I just kind of like went to pull my bra out because it was kind of uncomfortable. And I thought, oh, I feel like something very small there. It was like, um, it didn't feel like what I expected breast cancer to feel like. It was like, like a third of a pea and soft. So very tiny and soft and jelly-like, but 
I just, I had had this friend, like a very dear friend of mine, Rebecca Wadey in New Zealand, who got breast cancer when she was 26. And she had always said to me, just feel around, you know, like there's no wrong way to do it. Just know your breasts, know your body, and then you'll know when something feels different. And so it was just that moment that I was like, okay, well, something feels different. I don't know. Like it's probably just hormonal, whatever. I made Matt feel it. He was like, I can't feel anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, okay, I'm probably just whatever. Um, I went to work and then was there at 9am. Then at like 9.45, I felt like there was a fire in my chair. And I mean, this is kind of spooky, but I felt like I heard a voice in my head that was like, don't delay, don't delay, don't delay, just over and over and over again. Like I could not tune out. And I picked up the phone. I made a doctor's appointment. I went to the doctor. She was like, yeah, I feel it. I, you know, 99% of these things in girls your age is like nothing. It's benign. You don't, I don't want you to worry, but I am going to send you to a specialist just because we can feel it. And, you know, I mean, spoiler alert, I went to the specialist uh, the very next day and it was cancer. So yeah, it was crazy because I had no family history. It was really mm. too young for mammograms. Like just, I don't, I don't have any of the, the genes because I had all of that tested. Mm. Um, it was just very out of the blue. And I was just very lucky that I had this dear friend, Rebecca Wadey, who had told me to feel my breasts. So I, you know, felt them every week after my period. And yeah. Is that the window to feel it? That's the best time because your hormonal lumps generally go down after that. So if it's something that's just like, you know, Mm -hmm. I had kind of small, dense breasts, so they were quite lumpy anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the rule of thumb is that if you feel something and then you still feel it three weeks later after like a full cycle, then go and get it checked. Unless you're like me and you panic and you just have to go straight away, which is totally fine also. <laughs> totally. I'll put guarantee put myself in that camp. I'm like, oh, well, there it is. That's it. And yeah. 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 Uh, to just put the mind at ease. Wow. Okay. So lots of questions. One, interesting. I would have thought that a tumor or a cancerous lung would be hard. That would be my Good. thing. Mm-hmm. Like a hard little nut would be yeah. what I would have assumed. Yeah. Um, and when you are feeling, because I guess this is important information for everyone, it's not just the top, right? It's like down the side, yeah. like kind of just let look. Me, let me talk you through it because I feel like oh, it's, it's yes. so simple and there's really no wrong way to do it except to just do it like often, you know, yeah. so that you know what it feels like normally. Um, so first thing I do is I stand in front of the mirror with my hands on my hips and no top on, obviously, and you just look at your breasts. So you just look at them for any changes in color, any like dimpling, any kind of like rashy things, just anything that looks kind of out of the ordinary. Um, so that's the first thing. And if there's anything, then kind of feel around. Then generally, um, I... Does that, I, include, um, does that include topical stuff? Like- yeah, yeah, because it can be like, it can be, a, you can get it in your skin, you can get it really close to the surface, or you can get it so deep in. Like mine was so deep that I actually wouldn't have been able to feel it standing up. The only reason I felt it is because I was lying down on my bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do tell people to feel their breasts while they're lying down. And then also like while they're in the shower. So like if you're lying down in your bed, just kind of go around in circles from the outside of your breast all the way to your nipple, just pressing in with your fingertips, like the most sensitive part of your fingers and then make sure you feel right up into your collarbone like right up under your neck and up into your armpit as well because 
your breast tissue, I didn't know this, but your breast tissue goes all the way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can actually get lumps anywhere all the way up there. And then I just do the same thing in the shower. But there really is no wrong way to do it. You just feel around and get to know what your body feels like. Mm-hmm. And in the shower, it can be quite helpful to use soap because that actually makes your fingers even more sensitive and slide over the surface a bit more so you can kind of feel the lumps more easily. Okay. Good. Okay. And then maybe demystify, if you're happy to talk about it, the process of someone telling you that you have cancer, because uh, my only knowledge to that is movies. um, And I'm sure it's probably not quite like that. (laughs) Well, you know, there are so many things that I had assumed, like you from watching movies about cancer, that I was, I thought that I would be on the floor, hysterically crying, panicking about life and death and all the things the whole world went completely silent for me. I can remember exactly where I was. I was walking from, they just made me have a mammogram at Cedar sinai and I was walking past Wells Fargo Bank and my phone rang and um, my surgeon was on the phone. She got straight to the point. She said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but it, you've got cancer. Um, so we need to do more tests. And, we, and it just, honestly, it was like the whole world just went really silent and I went really silent. There was no tears. I just kind of went into like, oh, probably shock, but like, okay, what am I going to do now? And my first thoughts were not like, you know, I'm going to have to have chemo and radiation and all the things that I had to go through. They were like, okay, how do I get rid of all my clothes so that my family don't have to deal with them if I die? I've got to sell my car. Like it was all these, I was practical. I was like, okay, what am I going to do to like make this as easy on everyone as possible? Not even thinking about myself, which is weird. Probably, well, I mean, yes, weird because it's not what we think, but yes, probably because you're a lovely, delightful human. You're like, okay, well, I don't want this to be a problem for everybody else. And I'll just ignore my feelings because that's probably too difficult right now. And we'll just go into planning mode. Great. Makes um, me a bit sad to think about that, isn't it? It's like yeah, but, classic female response. Let's not be a burden. Let's make this cancer <laughs> as easy on everyone as possible. And I'll just stifle those two. They'll come up later. That's fine. <laughs> and they it's do. probably a coping mechanism, I'm sure. Um, interesting. So it, it you definitely went straight to, okay, well, I'm, I won't be here. So I did. Yeah. I immediately okay. went to worst case scenario, which was... Mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to in a weird sort of way because right. it's like you're told there's this thing growing inside of you and you can't see it and you can't feel it and there's no symptoms. That, that actually, sorry, I should say on that. You didn't have any thing, not, not like you haven't had a headache for the last two years or anything like that? No. Oh, okay. Some people say, like I have a friend who had breast cancer, she said that her breast cancer felt like a headache in her boob. So it was like she went and got a mammogram because she felt like she had this kind of on and on and off again headache in her boob. And I felt nothing, like nothing at all. When I pressed on it, it wasn't sore. It was just mm. like just like something I hadn't felt before. So yeah, it, I think, and breast cancer can be a really different experience for everyone. Like sure. some people get, you know, nipple discharge or, you know, like dimpling or Mm. lumps or you know it's just it's different some people get pain some people get no pain it's like Mm. yeah uh and just zooming in on that moment of kind of like getting this information because I am curious if if it happens to anyone or someone has a friend or family member who have this Mm -hmm. 
what what was a helpful response to you? Because everyone will have their own emotional response to you. And I'm just curious because it's a good tool for all of our toolbox. Yeah. If you were to tell me or when you did tell people that you had this, what was helpful and what was maybe not the best response, given that I'm sure everyone intends to act with the best intentions? Oh, of course. And I think that's something that I didn't know before I went through this was that I would probably, if I found out somebody close to me had cancer, I would probably be really afraid to say the wrong thing, might say the wrong thing, might, and, you know, and I feel like that is so much more difficult from the outside than it is to the person that's actually going through it. Because when you're going through it, you know that everyone cares and they're like saying something because they care. And even if they say the wrong thing, it doesn't matter because you know they care. And that's the important part, you know? Right. Okay. But I think the most helpful thing is like just the people that turn up and the people that say to you, hey, um, I know you're going through this thing. I don't know what to say. I'm sure it's really scary, but I just want you to know that I'm thinking of you and you don't need to respond right away because it's like really overwhelming. You get really bombarded by, you know, a lot of messages and people that care, which is wonderful, but also like you're going through this kind of major thing and you can't necessarily respond right away because you're dealing with this kind of tidal wave of emotion and information. Yeah. And I imagine maybe, um, again, with best intentions, but maybe some unsolicited stories of like, well, my aunt did this and have you tried this? Was that helpful or was it a bit invasive? The the people that did that to me actually were always people that I didn't know very well. And I got, um, I had somebody trying to sell me a $2,000 ticket to a wellness retreat that was apparently going to cure me. Um, I had somebody tell me to rub oranges on my boobs because that would make my cancer go away. I can't tell you how many people told me that their aunties, you know, brothers, mother, dog died of cancer. Like the stories where somebody dies, very unhelpful always. (laughs) Don't ever tell somebody with cancer a story about somebody that dies because you just don't want to hear it. You only want to hear the like lovely survival stories, which is great. Tell, Tell as many of those as you want to. Um, Uh, Okay, so then what happens? You kind of move into strategy, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, when you first get diagnosed with cancer, it's very information overload. You have scans to have specialists, you know, there's just, it's just so much information and it's often things that, I mean, I don't know about you, maybe I was just really ignorant, but I just had this idea that cancer was kind of all one disease and you got it in different parts of your body, you know, and that you had chemo and that chemo was all the same. It was some kind of chemicals that they put into you. I mean, there's 37 different types of breast cancer. There is like a lot of different types of breast cancer and they're all treated differently with different medications. So while people say chemo, chemo is actually just an umbrella term for a whole bunch of different drugs. So that's the other thing that's kind of, you know, people always will ask me for advice when, if they're newly diagnosed or Mm. they know someone and I'm like, well, I can tell you what my experience was, but I can't tell you what your experience will be because it's so different for everyone. And it depends on your prognosis and, you know, all of those things. Mm. So, um, you know, I think it's just, if, if you can just be that supportive friend who's like thinking of someone and know that they're going through a lot and absorbing a lot of information. You have all this information and then I assume they kind of want to check all of you. Is that something? Yeah, and you kind of are going, oh, this already feels like I'm at the ground level. And they're like, but let's just rule out all the other things that could be wrong. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, they basically scan you from head to toe to see whether it's um, if they can see any tumors anywhere else in your body. For me, I had a, an MRI and they saw a um, a tumor on my liver, and that um, you know when it travels to somewhere else in your body, it's not great. It means that it's like stage four, and that's technically incurable. Like they can keep you alive for a long time with stage four cancer. And the hope is that, you know, this is something that was really comforting that my surgeon said to me. She was like, listen, we just need to keep you alive for like five to 10 years. And at that point, there'll be some new medical intervention. You know, we're so close to getting a vaccine for breast cancer. Breast cancer will become like this, um, like a chronic disease that people live with and is treatable in the same way that like HIV is now a chronic disease and people don't necessarily die from AIDS. You know, it's like the, the, the medical science is just changing so quickly, which is amazing. But that was really scary for me. So there was about two weeks where I had to wait to find out whether it was a cancerous tumor in my liver or not. And it turned out, um, it was not, it was benign. It was something that I probably was born with and this just kind of sits there. And that's the other thing is that people have a lot of things in their body that aren't necessarily anything. Mm. And I was just very, very lucky. That was probably the hardest two weeks of my life because the waiting, anyone in cancer treatment will tell you the waiting is the hardest. What does your mental health look like at that point? What What's going on? Because two weeks um, is a very long time to be not feeling great, which, you know, probably also doesn't help with your overall health and stress. No. Well, listen, I, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand or other parts of the world, but in America, they prescribe you a lot of things. So I was given Valium and, um, you know, like just antidepressants and, you know, uh, pain medication. They gave me so many different things that when I went to the pharmacy to fill the prescriptions, they said to me, um, we're just going to make a phone call to your doctors because if you take these all together, you actually won't wake up. And I was like, um, okay, nice of someone to tell me that because uh, yeah. that's not thank ideal. You. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to stay alive. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so that was fun. But yeah, basically really the only way that I could get, I was just in shock really. And I think when mm-hmm. you're going through something like that, um, my, my stepmother flew over from New Zealand that week And it was just basically like a constant distraction. She was like, okay, let's go get your nails done. Let's uh, let's go out for lunch. Let's go and get a coffee. Like it was just like constant distraction. So I could not think about it. And also staying away from Google, very helpful. Like just, I think when you, when you first get diagnosed, all anybody talks about is cancer and every sentence starts with, I'm so sorry, or you've got this. And it's just like, that's so at some point you just want to be a normal human again. You like, you see all these people out living their lives and I'm like, okay, I just talk and deal with cancer every day and that's it. So having friends that will just like be with you to distract you and do other things is amazing. I had one friend who came to a chemo with me and watched seasons of Kath and Kim. Like it was just, I was like, oh, bless your soul. This is all I need right now is just laughter. Actually, yeah. on the day I got diagnosed, Matt and I that night went to um, uh, this comedy club, which is just down the road from us on Sunset. Because I was like, I can't, like, I I can't think about this anymore. I just need to laugh and think about something else. Like, yeah, 
my brain cannot deal with this right now. How did you um, cope with, and, and speak this as much as little as you want, with, with his emotions with it? Because I also imagine if it's your partner, they're also having their own journey whilst trying to be awesome to you. Totally. And I guess at some point you also have to create space and grace for his experience. A hundred percent. And I think I really believe that it's harder on the people that care for you and the people around you than it is. I think when you're in it, you're like, okay, I'm in this fight. I'm doing it. This is what I'm doing. Hmm. And but the people around you feel so powerless. Like there's really nothing that they can do except support you and turn up, you know? And I am very lucky that he, his dad was quite sick when he was a kid. And so hospitals and, you know, medical things don't phase him. He's actually quite fascinated by them. And so he would just kind of do all my research for me because I wasn't allowed on Google because as my family will tell anyone, I'm like a little hypochondriac that panics. Mm. So like couldn't go down that rabbit hole. So he would research it and tell me what was going on, come to appointments with me. And I was just, I just, I don't know. It was like, it was like walking through fire while holding someone's hand, you know, like having someone just like, he sat in this hard wooden chair next to me for like three days while I had surgery, you know, like, and just, just turned up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm just very lucky that he's a very funny, calm person. Mm -hmm. Um, And it hasn't really been until years and years later that we've actually really talked about how hard that was for him, you know? Yeah. Wow. Oh, what a beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good one. I'll keep him. He's a good one. <laughs> that is that is true. I um yeah, everyone's experience is different. I've spent a lot of time in hospitals myself, family members that it they aren't scary. Yeah. That I have a visceral reaction of feeling very uncomfortable. I've spent many right. busy with my so yes, I but I've been in relationship with people who it's actually, yeah, they don't can't quite enter it usually because of they haven't had that experience lucky for them yeah but that would be quite challenging if someone had that sort of visceral reaction of feeling very uncomfortable in that space um yeah like I think the people that turn up and make you laugh are just the best because not a lot of laughter with cancer you know like it's not no yeah (laughs) or if someone can just like you know sort of put their own kind of fear and aside and just like sit with you in that moment and just be a normal human being it's amazing it's like beautiful yeah and at what point did uh hope kind of enter the picture because this kind of feels like it's on the like scaries down at what point do you kind of like start having and again you know I, I reached out because you did this beautiful post five years past chemo where I guess your POV changes again yeah was were you actively trying to hold on to hope make plans were you kind of still in the oh I'm leaving the planet mentality like was there a moment that that switched and did it take a result to get to that place well I will tell you that I still struggle to make plans so that's a thing that becomes like really difficult because I was always a planner I was always like five-year plan I have my 10-year plan and this is these are my goals that I'm working on right now you know and then this happened and it just was like a bomb exploded on my life and I was like I don't know if I'm ever going to act again you know I went so I couldn't I was trying to do auditions and wearing like wigs that were like coming off halfway through the audition like it was just terrible I look back on those tapes and I'm like 
wow, I looked really sick, Um, you know, but I think I was hopeful the whole time, you know, like even from the beginning, even when it was the worst possible news and I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to die, then I'm going to do it in a really beautiful way. And then, you know, going into, once I knew that I, I wasn't going to die, that this was like treatable, I would go into the cancer center. And I remember on my first day, you know, it's scary. I was in America. I didn't know anyone. I had no family. It was just me and Matt. I had hardly any friends here. Mm-hmm. And I saw this young woman and she was completely bald and she was wearing this amazing dress and she just kind of like strode through the cancer center like she owned it. And it gave me so much hope. And that moment I was like, oh, okay. If she can do this, I can do this too. It's going to be okay. And so from that point on, every time I went in for a treatment, I would put my most beautiful dress on. I would like get myself prepared. And in my mind, I was like, I am going to a spa and they're going to put these this chemical in me that is going to like be like little ninjas that's going to go and fight all the cancer. I'm going to lose my hair and it's great because I'm going to grow all new hair and it's going to be yeah. amazing. Maybe it will come back curly. It didn't. It came back exactly the same, but whatever. I was hopeful that I would get those yeah. curls. Um, and I just tried to like have a really kind of hopeful mindset about it. I don't like the word positive sometimes because I feel like positive can be like a little up as well yeah you know that kind of just be positive and it's like fuck you know I have cancer like (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and it's the power of your mind you're like yeah Yeah. cool like (laughs) totally totally (laughs) I haven't had cancer but I relate to that with depression like yeah you've just got to like change your mindset it's like you're not out of lack of trying you dick like (laughs) (laughs) totally don't you think I would if I could (laughs) yeah yeah. oh my god I hadn't thank you jeez like what crazy I thought of that (laughs) I'm like a witch got it that's it um Okay, so this planning is still challenging. Do you feel do you feel kind of this title shift in how you do look at things now? Or is it and I ask that because I've had a couple of experiences in life where um, you know, I've worked in refugee camps and I kind of like come away with this experience of like, I'm gonna treat you know, I everything with more gratitude and you know, or I'm not gonna have this much stuff and I'm not I'm saying that's anything like the cancer experience, but in the sense of like thinking I'm my whole world is going to change in my POV because of these aha moments. And whilst, yes, there are elements of that, I did find that it didn't take too long to re-enter my life as it was and kind of just continue on a habitual path of um, rat race, you know, like yeah, this like whole like, oh my God, it's all about the people and community. <laughs> and then like, yeah. I'm still complaining about the same things. Fast forward a month later. Um, yeah, was it a huge title shift or has it been more of a gradual thing for you? You know, I think at the beginning, you're like, if I survive this, I'm never going to worry about anything again. I'm going to like take life by the balls and I'm going to just like not be afraid of anything. Live in the moment. Yeah. yeah. And that is an amazing thing, euphoric thing that you get at the beginning. And I think it's like your body's way of just like coping. And then, like you say, you kind of settle back into normal life and, you know, whatever. But I will never forget that my mom sent me this, um, there's this kind of like Japanese pottery. I don't know if you've heard about this, but when it when it breaks and it smashes, they, they'll they take a bowl and they'll mend it together with gold so that it has these like gold cracks all through it. And it's like a beautiful Japanese art form. Um, and she had these Ponamu earrings that broke 
and she had one of them mended with gold. And like, that's the way that I kind of think of myself now. It's like, yeah, my life got exploded into a million pieces. I picked them all up. I mended them together. And now I'm like, just profoundly happier, stronger, you know, like my life isn't perfect. I don't walk through every day like, oh, I'm so happy I woke up today. You know, like I still get depressed and anxious and all the things, but there's definitely this resilience and a foundation that I have now where I am really appreciative of really small things because in that moment when I was thinking that I might die, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, the the movies that I had done or the money that I had in the bank or, you know, like whatever it is. I'm not that I had any money in the bank, but, but you know, like just all of those things. It was like, oh, I'm never going to like bake muffins in the kitchen with my mom again. I'm never going to like laugh until I cry with my sister. Like I need more memories. I need more moments. And it was all about those human connections that I was like, I can't, le- I can't leave these people. Like we have too much stuff to do. This is not, you know. Was there, was there a guilt on the fact that you haven't done as much of that and you have been more focused on something else? Because as you're saying that, I'm like, oh shit, like I can be <laughs> such a Or, you know, like, yeah, or yeah, I could be a better sister, a better daughter, you know. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think I definitely do pick the phone up and call them more. Like I definitely, and when I do have interactions with people, whoever it is, friend, workmate, family, like I'm really there with them. I'm really present and I really appreciate just that human connection with another person because I think I realize the value of how precious and short life can be. So it just like that, that was really profound for me that it just wasn't about material things or what I had or didn't have or whatever. And I think, I mean, you must know what it's like when you're pursuing a career as an actor that can be fraught with all kinds of things, you know, and my friends are sort of buying houses and, you know, investing stocks and I'm like oh okay find some money for the rent this week <laughs> oh yeah I'm exactly doing that I'm like oh shit I've had my heater on too much this month I guess I freeze next month oh, <laughs> I know. you have those moments of like what the hell am I doing but at the end of the day the pursuit of a dream is the most beautiful thing that you can do and like as long as your interactions with the people you love are special yes it's that thing of um that I just love the saying about people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so I always want to like not have people feel my presence in a room, but notice when I'm not there. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, it just- beautiful. I mean, you do do that. You've, you've consistently done that. That's a, that's a little holiday. Um, this has been so insightful and helpful. Thank you. And I'm assuming that your your advice from this experience is, and I know you post about it a lot, and I think that's incredibly important, um, just to people to keep checking, checking themselves. Um, and I know you um, are a big advocate for that, and I need to be doing more of that. Um, is there anything else that you would kind of like put in your little tokens of, of things that you would encourage people to do or? Um, yeah. That yeah. um, you know what? There's so much, there's so much that really just involves like listening to your body and really like, I think we get on this like treadmill of busyness and we forget to actually like just stop and check in with ourselves and be like, 
how do I feel right now? Do I have a headache? Do I need to drink some water? Do I need to like, you know, and just really being aware of your body and what's going on. Um, things like, things that I wish that I'd known before I got cancer, like 30 minutes of moderate exercise, five days a week. Moderate exercise is like a walk around the block for 30 minutes, like nothing. Um, will halve your cancer risk, 50%. So that is like more wow. than any drug can give you. Like no matter what, no oncologist can do that for you, but you can walk for 30 minutes, five days a week and halve your cancer risk. You know, like there's just things like that that, are, that totally blew my mind. And like when you have chemo, you're not allowed to drink green tea or eat ginger or even like things like garlic, because the antioxidants are so high in those things that they actually fight the chemo. So if you if you have those things on a regular basis, it's essentially cleaning up your system as it is. The antioxidants are fighting the free radicals in your system, which are causing the damage, which eventually over time causes cancer. You know, like there's just, wow. there's so many little things that you can do every day. And it's not about like, one big thing, like I didn't just get exposed to like some radiation from my cell phone or something. It's like, was probably an accumulation of tiny things that I did every day for, you know, 10, 15 years that gradually caused, mm -hmm. cancer, you know? Um, so if you can kind of like put lifestyle things in place that are actually good, like exercise and, you know, eating organic food where you can, if you can, um, mm. things like there's a website called the EWG website where they break down the chemicals and makeup. You know, I'm actually working on a little personal project at the moment, which is just like a website blog where I just share all of this information for my family and friends so that, because I've had to learn it. Yeah. You know? um, and it's just kind of like, yeah, just the little things that you can put in place that really make a big difference to your health. And they're just do you drink? Every day. Um, I do not. I drink substantially less than I did yeah. um, many years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I really enjoy wine, but I have also found a lot of like really lovely non-alcoholic wines. There's like a bunch of things that you can have now that I just like, I try not to have more than four alcoholic drinks a week because mm -hmm. that's for breast cancer. It's really bad because it basically stores estrogen in your system. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's, that's the very good, helpful tips. Um, something I do like to ask people is what their brain looks like. I'm curious what it <laughs> looks like. If it's a picture, maybe it's a... Right. Lovely cabin, or maybe it's a psychotic kaleidoscope. I don't know. What what does it look like up there? If you were to like um, show what's going on, I think it's I think it's probably like a really vast, overgrown garden, and there are like parts of it that are like full of weeds and wildflowers and craziness, and then there's parts that are like very manicured lawns. You know, <laughs> like you've almost got like a hedge. You've got some right? hedges, and like then you've got some or something. Yeah, I like that. Okay, what a fun place to be. Yeah, I like okay, it. It's entertaining, different. Yep. <laughs> As you know, hey, thank you so much for your time. And then, where can people find you? Because I know they'll want to like make sure they catch your posts and stuff. Where you do it? Where would you like people sure. to go if they want to reach out? Um, well, my Instagram is probably a good place and it's just Delaney Tabron as my handle or the site actually that I am about to launch is called Gentle yeah. James. So it'll be Gentle James on Instagram and gentlejames.com. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, that I, I have to get involved in that. I'm definitely Please. trying to be better. Well, I, you know, I have a friend going through a fertility journey and she was like, no one told me I had to buy soap that had no parabens. Yeah. yeah. I was like, mm, I can see it, but I can't. Yeah. Oh, and she's like, yeah. No one told me this. And now Ooh. I only just noticed that my hand soap says no. I was like, I didn't even know that's what we're supposed to. So yes, I'm so excited about this journey that you're going on. Support you. I did a, um, a, like a a beauty audit thing where I counted every chemical I put on my skin for one day and it was like sunscreens or eyeshadow or like whatever it was. And uh, it was hundreds and hundreds of cancer hormone disruptive chemicals that I was putting on my skin every single day. It's wild. Is makeup the biggest probably thing that we're doing blindly? I think so, yeah, because it's completely unregulated. Like in the US, they, they've only banned like 37 different chemicals. And, you know, in Europe, there's thousands that they've banned. Like this formaldehyde and nail polish, you know, I found Teflon in my mascara. You know, Teflon is the stuff that they put on nonstick pans that is also a carcinogen. So it's like, it just is frightening. And it was a big name brand, which I won't name. No, you don't have name. Do you have one that you want to shout out that is good though? That you're like, okay, this feels I like. Actually do. Yeah. Um, there's a mascara that I love by Jessica. It's Jessica Alba's brand. She launched this brand called Honest and it's really good. She started with like baby products because she had kids and she wanted them to have safe things. But there's a mascara that she makes that's like, I want to say it's $16 and it stays on all day and it's completely clean and it's beautiful and amazing and I love it. Great. Okay. Yay. Shout out. Good job, Jessica Alba. Yay. I know, right? I just, I love these like low key. Yeah. Just do good things for the planet because they can. It's perfect. Um, I won't take up any more time. Thank you so much. You're an absolute dream and delight and I love you. 